Welcome to Doe, a podcast about cases of John and Jane Doe's. I'm Allison. And I'm Kat. We have a really exciting update about a case from episode two. John Clinton Doe, who is my Doe, uh, they have a name for him. They haven't released it to the public yet, but the DNA Doe Project um, took DNA from the Rock County Sheriff's Office and they sent it to the lab at uh, University of North Texas, um, which it, the match through that university is considered forensic confirmation for legal purposes. So it sounds like they're going to do another independent test. Um, but DNA Doe Project said that they're 95% confident that this is John Clinton Doe's identity, and they've identified the family members. That's amazing. It's, like, I'm so happy. Notified. Um, I said identified, but I thought they meant notified. So I do have a feeling that this might be like the Lyle Stavik case, um, which Cliff notes on Lyle Stavik is he was found, he was a suicide in um, New York, I think. Uh, Washington State. Oh, wow. And they found out his identity last year, and they... What? Yeah, they found out Lyle Stavik's identity, but because the family didn't oh, want... Oh, that's right! Yeah, the family oh God, didn't I totally want, I guess, publicity that. or anyone to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, cause the nature of the case. And, yeah. Which, oh my god, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and actually, this was a really good point. I was just looking at the Reddit on this John Clinton Doe update, and the user Goldish Spoon pointed out something that I didn't notice before, but now I kind of look at cases and I realize that it's totally true. Um, homicide victim na- victims' names are more likely to be released than suicide victims or natural death victims, yeah. and it really depends on the family. It's an ethics thing. Yeah, which is completely understandable. Yeah. So that's my update on John Clinton Doe. That is exciting. It's so exciting. So, yeah. And what's that part down there? Death cause not determined? Oh, yeah. Um, the death cause isn't determined. I also have a feeling that they don't want to, like, release info too soon in case it's a homicide. Like, in maybe the... they want to keep their everything close to the chest. Yeah, that's basically it. Okay, so, okay, so we don't know the cause of death yet. No. And, and yeah. The name hasn't been released yet. No, and he was okay. skeletal at the time. I don't know if that makes it harder to discover the cause of death or not. It can, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's probably why. Usually if it's like a fresh body, it's way easier. But yeah. yeah. This shows we have to release these things really fast. I know. that. That's why I was like, we need to get stuff done. Because we recorded that one a while ago. And also, my Joe case that I will tell you about in minutes is so close to being solved too. That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh, and also um, the timeline for John Doe or John Clinton Doe. Oh, okay. They think they're going to have a definitive match in May. So that's we'll have to amazing. do another update. That's amazing. Yeah. Good job, everybody involved in that. That. Uh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, I guess uh, my forensic fact. Forensic fact. Yeah. All right. So this one I just learned about. I learned about this last night in class. Um, with evidence in Canada, it, when there's like um, crime scene reconstructions or like recreating gunshot thing, you know those? Where it's mm-hmm. like an image of this is how the body was. Mm-hmm. So in Canada, we're not allowed to use graphic reconstructions. Oh, so it can't be a realistic human-looking face. So the example that was in my class was a picture of a guy getting, like, a, a pipe through the face. Oh, Jesus. And you could see, as she put it, like, you could see the pain on his face and all this. Mm. So you can't have reconstructions like that. Um, no facial expressions. You can't have those. That makes no sense. No blood or realistic wounds. Because the problem is it makes it prejudicial. Because if a jury sees the crown is going... Oh, for anyone who isn't Canadian, the crown is prosecution. Yeah, so if, like, the Crown is presenting evidence 
against um, against the accused, saying so and so killed um, the victim. Here's a reconstruction of it, and you're showing the victim realistically, showing them in pain with blood. It's going to make the jury more inclined to find the defendant guilty. That makes sense. And so yeah found that out. I had never even really thought about it. And then it was like, oh, that's actually very logical. Yeah, because she was doing a presentation on like putting together what kind of images you can bring to court because we mm. have a mock trial coming up. Ooh, that sounds fun. They're not. Oh, They're so not. For me, who's not doing a mock trial yeah, and just the idea of it, it's wait, fun. We get questioned by real lawyers. That sounds terrifying. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. So yeah, that's this week's uh, forensic fact. Awesome. Which I thought was pretty interesting. And it is. Totally, yeah, logical, as you said. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so before I start my dough, yes, uh, I just want to let everybody know that okay. we have created a podcast fort. There are twinkle lights involved. There is it's a very large blanket, a shag pillow. It's I very cozy. Think we use every chair in your and apartment. blanket. Every chair and blanket in my table. apartment. This is basically <laughs> me trying to say that we're trying to work on the sound. We are reliving like a grade three sleepover. We're just talking about dead bodies a lot more than yeah. <laughs> We've somehow squished ourselves in with our laptops. We've got our tea. Everything is pretty great. And on that note, we're all cozy and settled in. Yes. I'm gonna tell you I'm about sorry. El Dorado Jane Doe. Ooh. Which I the backstory to why I'm so. Can I just take a moment? Is El Dorado a real place? Yes. I think there's more than one. So <laughs> this is just the movie. N- no, I'm pr- yeah. There's. <laughs> This one's in Arkansas, this El Dorado that I'm talking about. Okay. Not everyone would know this because not everyone knows me, but I was very obsessed with the Lori Erica Ruff case for a very long time. I mean, was. Well, because she was identified. That's true. So it's, there's no mystery anymore. You know that she was Kimberly McLean. Yeah, I think you first told me about that one back when you lived, not in this building, but the last time you lived in yeah. this area. So, yeah. Oh my, how many years ago? Like four? At least four. I've probably read every web sleuths oh, man. post on Lori and Erica Ruff. So yes, you, I remember you telling me all about that. Yeah. Um, I had my theories. I won't get into them, but they were all wrong. Um, but <laughs> They're interesting, though. <laughs> they, they were. I thought they were. Um, so this dough is kind of like Lori in that there are fake identities involved. I love fake identity ones. Me too. Obviously, They're really interesting. <laughs> They're so interesting, um, and this case is also very interesting because familial DNA is close to breaking it. And there are so many articles that have been written on this one. There's so many forum posts. Like you could do a deep dive and not come out for weeks. Oh, can I just throw in another forensic fact? Really? Yes. So familial DNA is not actually allowed in Canada yet. Really? Yeah. What? They're still trying to figure out, like, the ethics of it and the legal Instead of just diving into it, we're kind of trying to figure out. Yeah, so... Cause, Interesting. Because then if you if that's not legal, you can't use that evidence. Right. Mm. So it's working in the state, so they're working on using it in Canada, which we've talked about in my missing persons class a lot. So, but if there was a doe in Canada mm-hmm. where it was obviously not a murder, would they still be able to use it? Like, say someone was found in the woods and it was very obviously, like... Death by misadventure or something like that. Oh, like finding out the next of kin? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, okay. not, not like um, criminals. Gotcha. Yeah, I probably should have started with that. No, but it's yeah. okay. I just thought I would... I saw a familiar. I was like, by the way... No, no, but for like does, yeah. No, totally. But like criminal things, you can't use it yet. Gotcha. But soon. Soon, soon. enough. So, El Dorado. Mm. 
so this woman was killed on July 10th, 1991 in El Dorado, Arkansas at the Whitehall Motel in a bad area of town. Is it bad that my first thought when I hear Whitehall Motel, Motel is like, that's in a bad area of town. Isn't that where, okay, I can't remember where Jack the Ripper did everything. Whitechapel. <sighs> Whitechapel. Whitechapel, yeah. not that. But just Whitehall Motel, I'm like, mm. Sounds sound great. Also, I have to say, I got a lot of this stuff from a Huffington Post article by David Lore. It's great. It's a good jumping off place to start. Um, and there's also a Real Clear Life article by Steve Huff. Those articles are great. And, Related to Huffington? Huffington? Um, right? I, I noticed that too. <laughs> uh, so anyways, back to, back back to our dough. Back to story. Okay. So she died of a gunshot wound from her ex-boyfriend and probably her pimp, James um. Ice McAlphin. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, she was approximately 18 to 30 years old. She was approximately 5'11 in height and around 150 to 160 pounds. She had blue eyes, three piercings in her right ear, two in her left ear, and she had blonde hair. She had a gold chain bracelet on her right arm, white tennis shoes, white ankle socks, acid-washed blue jeans. Oh, right. This is 91. I'm like... 91. Okay. No, yeah, now. Okay. Black belt and white t-shirt. There was a scar above her right eye and on her waist... Uh, she was born anywhere from 1960 to 1973, and there are so many photos of this dope, like actual photos of her. There are driver's license photos, there are candidates, there are mugshots, there are postmortem, because we know kind of, like, we know her friends, we know people who knew her. Okay, I'm guess, I I think I can guess why. You get why this, yeah, where this I can is guess, going. I can see where this is going, yeah. She was known to live in Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas. Wait, what? There's a Louisiana in Arkansas? No, like Louisiana, oh, oh. comma, Arkansas, comma, Texas. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> I know, I did I'm, not really specify. I'm bad at geography, what? Um, but El Dorado is on the southern border of Arkansas, so it is close to Louisiana. Mm. There was a history of abuse from McAlphin, so mm. much so that local ER doctors knew her, and police were trying to get oh, her out of the no. situation. It was that bad. Yeah, when the police are involved, because like, we, we know how often the police don't do it often as much as they really could especially in like sex worker cases where it's this kind of thing so the fact that they were trying to get her out that's yeah it's it sounds like it was really 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 bad either the police department was like really on top of this and like really good and like really cared which they probably did regardless yeah yeah but but we, yeah, we still see that nowadays where priority is not given to the most Shoot. vulnerable groups. Yeah, but yeah, so either the police were amazing in that area, and really on top of vulnerable um, people, or it was just like the worst situation that they couldn't ignore it. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like what happened in the days and months follow or leading up to her death was she left McAlphin in June. She moved in with her friend Andrea. I think Andrea's last name is Crowley? Cowley? Um, And she started seeing another guy. But James McAlphin lured her back to the Whitehall Motel because he said he had money to give her. So they're fighting. A neighbor named Roy Charles Menon comes over to get some cassettes that James borrowed. He sees Cheryl try to flee, but James drags her back into the room. And then a short time later, when Roy's back in his own place, he hears a gunshot and he sees James fleeing the scene in his car. And Andrea, her friend that she went to go live with, is actually walking past the motel and heard the gunshot and found this doe. Did she know she was at the motel? Probably, yeah. Oh, okay. So it wasn't so like, a coincidence. Yeah, so, but like she found her friend dead. Oh, that is that's... so heartbreaking. 
Yeah, and you just know that there has to be some part of her blaming herself for right. like letting her go or letting her go alone. Right. Or like and I'm assuming that she knew because that would be such a weird coincidence yeah. for her to be walking past right when her friend was going. Yeah, she may have been like, hey, meet me. Yeah, or like time, I'm going to like see that. my very abusive boyfriend. Like yeah, if something, something like happens. That. Yeah. But I'm just, just that's an awful situation. Yeah. So first McAlphin said that she committed suicide, Bullshit. but the police, yeah, the police were like, fuck you, this is not, I'm, I'm assuming I'm paraphrasing here, I don't think they maybe actually no, said I think, that. I think verbatim, that's yeah. what they said. So the police didn't believe him, uh, because not only Roy saw him shoot her, get into his car, and flee the scene, but other people saw oh, him flee so the scene as well. Oh, so saw him shoot her, or just heard him shoot her after seeing her get dragged back into the room? One source says he heard it, and then another source said, um, said that he saw him. Okay. So it's a bit of a conflicting thing, yeah, but, but regardless, way, he, was, he was like right there. there. Yeah. Um, and other witnesses saw him flee the scene. To this day, he's saying he didn't shoot her. He just hit her. Oh, and, just hit her. Yeah. And then she like had a history of like threatening suicide and did it, which is complete bullshit. Yeah. That, that doesn't even like, even if someone does have a history of that kind of thing, that's not the situation where they're going to use that. And yeah, it's just so many things wrong with that. So he's charged with first degree murder and Good. second degree battery. Um, he's convicted after a plea deal. He served 13 years of a 15-year sentence for this murder. Uh, and he was in prison on an unrelated domestic battery charge in 2011. And he was denied parole, which means he's in jail until at least 2021. Good. Yeah, it's just awful. So basically, he's a piece of shit. Yep, and he should be locked up. up forever. The alias of the Doe. Uh, she's been known to go by Kelly Carr, Shannon Wiley, Sharon Wiley, Cheryl Anwick is on her driver's license and social security card cannot say that social security, security. um she also has known been known to go by cheryl kaufman or the name mercedes as a dancer okay yeah. so there's a whole bunch of names going on here yeah so there's and she's got an arrest record but as far as i know it's only under cheryl ann wick okay december 31st 1990 for sex work in dallas January 26, 1991, in Dallas for an unknown reason, public lewdness in February 1991, and for writing bad checks in May 1991. So she was known to police. Yeah. Sounds like. It's um, like petty as in like legal, um, not legality-wise, like I meant um, charge-wise. Yeah, yeah. It's all like, it's not like like felonies or anything, I don't think. fines usually. So the police find her ID card that says Cheryl Ann Wick, and they're like, bingo, she's Cheryl. But they contact Cheryl's family in Minnesota. The real Cheryl gets a call from her sister crying because the police told their parents that she was murdered. And the exact quote from Cheryl in an article, she says that, I was like, no, I'm fine. It's like, no, what? I didn't die. I'm right here. So her identity was stolen. She never met the fake Cheryl, but her purse was stolen when she was working as a dancer at a place called Party Time in Minneapolis. And she thinks that that's when fake Cheryl stole her identity. Party time. Yeah. I'm sorry. That sounds like somewhere where there's like a ball pit and kids go like Chuck E. Cheese. Party I have a feeling time. it was a little more adult than that, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> they, they did not brand well is what I... It sounds like a place branding. where you could buy a Halloween costume. Oh, it's like Party City. If Party yes. City and Chuck E. Cheese had a baby, it, it would be, be party, party time. time in Minneapolis. <laughs> so Don't take your kids there. So much like the Lori Ref case where we had her lockbox full of things like pieces of paper yeah. that she had written on, there's a diary page from the stove from August 1990. Okay. 
and it talks about people, um, Gail came home today. A person named Tyrone gave Gail $100. Her boyfriend finally talked to her. Gail left for Fresno in August 1990. Her grandmother had a heart attack. Like, all of these things that sound like it's just her daily life. Okay. And they also found a name in a Bible with her stuff after the Stowe died, which is the Stroud family, which is a family in Irving who authorities believe she lived with for a time. And they also found menus from restaurants in Texas and Virginia. Out of curiosity with the Bible, was it just like a single name or was it one of those old school Bibles where like the matriarch of the family would keep... I think it was like of one of those. Oh, I love yeah, those. Yeah, because they had a whole bunch of names that I didn't okay, go through then... just for like, I guess, privacy reasons. But Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so basically like it was like the family Bible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they didn't think like she was one of the Strouds maybe? No, oh, the Strouds were black. So oh, and she, the Strouds were Yeah, so okay. she was not one of the Strouds. But McAlphin said that he wouldn't identify her. He said that he knew who this doe was. Bullshit. But he wouldn't identify her unless the police helped him out. No, fuck you. So he uh, apparently met her sister and mother who live in Florida. Um, and he actually sent some letters to David Lore, who wrote that Huffington Post mm-hmm. article, and asked for $4,000. Yeah, that's bullshit. Right? It's he just like you're obviously trying is. to get something. And he also mentioned another alias, Helen Stenner, which like... There's nothing, like, there's no paperwork to back that up. Okay, but she went so by he that. might just... He, I think so he's just talking out his Or he's butt. just making up a name. Yeah. So to seem more credible, he shared a little bit about her, but again, this is such an unreliable narrator that we cannot believe anything of this, I think. Uh, he says that she was on the street since she was 16, um, forced into sex work in Dallas, but then she turned into doing it willingly. She was trafficked in Mexico by a pimp. Is there like another bad word to, to say that? I was trying to that, but I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know if there's like a listener, a, a more correct term than pimp. Listener, if you know. Dear sweet listener. Please let us know. We'd like to be correct about this. We'd like to, please help. But we'd like now, to learn. But for now, I guess it's a pimp. Pimp, a pimp. Um, named J.J. Davis before running away with another pimp named Tyrone, which was the name in her oh, diary. Okay. Apparently that's why she changed her name. Which does not thing. make sense. It just, yeah, it does not ring true to me. Because also, after, like, reading the book um, The Lost Girls, yes. if you haven't read it, read so it. Good. It's about the Long Island um, serial murders. They talk about those girls, and a lot of them had went by different names. Not for, like, just no, it's because just they were that like, happens. okay, I'm going from this life, I'm now going to a life with sex work. I'm going to go by this name. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with, like, running away from... No, it's not. It's just, this is what happens. It's one of those things. Yeah. To me, that timeline doesn't really... So she was trafficked in Mexico, and then she decided to change her name. When was she in Minnesota to grab that ID? That's a good point. Like, because... Doesn't really yeah, no, he's, he's, and, yeah, no, he's an ass. He's talking out of his butt. Here's another little tidbit that I was like, oh, this is very untrue, but also kind of interesting. So James claimed that she grew up with three girls who were trafficked in Dallas. Uh, so this is the case of Julianne Mosley, Rachel Trilka, and Lisa Renee Wilson. I know the name Julianne Mos- uh, Mosley. Yes. The second I read these names, I was like, oh, I've heard about this. One. It's a really sad case. They were abducted at a mall on December 23rd, 1974. Were they the ones with, um, one of them was wearing the shirt that said Sweet Honesty on it? I think so. I don't know. The yogurt shop or something? No, 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 no. Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. Um, oh, I can't remember. I th- I'm getting my cases mixed up. Let me just double check that. Let me see if that's, because I know that name. Fort Worth 3 kidnapping. So that is, yeah. 
It oh, is. Oh, okay. So the Fort Worth three kidnapped. I'm I'm assuming because this is also took place in Fort Worth and there were three people. Yeah, it's gotta be. So this is probably the sweet honesty case. Okay, okay, that's why I recognize the name, son. Police are probably rolling their eyes real hard at this guy. Like he's just grabbing at straws. James says that these girls were like sisters to Mercedes and they used to, to visit them. Like him and Mercedes used to go visit these girls in captivity in Fort Worth close to their parents and but that by the time they were adults they were also willing sex workers okay i am getting really pissed off at that guy for pulling the they were trafficked but then it was willing no, i know you. i know i know like I, I don't have words for how angry that makes me this guy's a, such a piece of shit he is and also it was a well-known case so he could easily just be like oh here's these girls let me just say this is related so it's like yeah. No. I think I was naive, but I didn't realize we would be talking so much about lying on this podcast. Like, so many people just lie. Oh, yeah. All the time. I'm used to it because of, like, all the forensic cases that I have right. to look at in class. And it's just people endless lie. lies. People are terrible. There's a cop. Ugh, I'm sorry. I can't remember if she's, like, a lieutenant or a sergeant. Um, Catherine Phillips who has been on this case for years and years and years, and she sounds like such an awesome lady. She very politely says that James McAlphin doesn't have the truth in him. Please tell me she has like a really good accent. I'm, well, I think it's, she's from Arkansas. I, she's I in don't Arkansas. Know what that accent sounds like. I'm just. Bill Clinton. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's, okay, no, that. I want to meet her. I know, me too. She also says that Mercedes probably didn't tell him much. Yeah, I could believe that. Like, just. I believe that more than the story about the I three mean, girls. Even if you're in a healthy relationship with someone, if you have like a. Not, I don't want to say a dark past. There's stuff that um, but, people don't tell people yeah, in relationships. Yeah, or if you just have, like, a complicated past, or you have... You may not want to get into it It right might away. take you a long time to really yeah. want to discuss that. Some people even just never really want to discuss it, so... No. no I'm sorry. No. Yeah, none of that is, like... I was even debating putting it in, but I thought it was... No, I, I, if, if this case is connected with these allegations, then it's worth bringing up to be, like, don't believe me sucks. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing about this doe is that the police were able to talk to her friends. Okay. So here are some stories that the police got from, like, I guess secondhand from her friends that the doe had told them. So, again, I don't know if any of these stories are true or not. This is just things that she has told people. Okay. She has two kids raised by her mom who she doesn't get along with. Um, and she apparently told a few people that she had two kids. And some of those people thought that she was sending money to them, which I could believe that. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But they didn't really say anything about if she'd had kids or not. Yeah, because so, my first thought was looking Look at, at the bones. Look at the pelvis. Yeah, so I don't, I didn't find anything, like, forensic okay, about so, that. Okay, so, yeah. So, well, if it's also 1991, forensic, like, forensic, oh, they, it wasn't, it was in its infancy. Oh, so maybe they didn't know to look at the bones. It's possible. She also said that she was in the witness protection program because her dad is in the mafia. Oh, so it's like one of her friends saying that she said this. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They're like, this is what Mercedes told me. Which, I no. doubt that that one's true. No, because that's not what happens in witness protection. She also said that she was wanted for bank robberies on the East Coast. Some sources say that's wrong, but one of the articles that I read, I cannot for the life of me remember which one, said that a detective found a letter from police to FBI about a Kelly Lee Carr wanted for bank robberies on the East Coast, specifically Virginia, which the Stowe seems to have a tie with. Okay, um, so Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But Catherine Phillips, our BFF, Catherine Phillips, said that she was actually suspected in a bank robbery but cleared. Okay. So, sounds like that one's also not true. 
she also told a story where she lured truck drivers with an accomplice to rob them, and one died during the heist. Police <laughs> actually think that she was involved in the November 12, 1990, sorry, 1988 unsolved murder of Dwayne McCorkendale, who was a truck driver. A white female, a black male, and a white male were seen in a brown Ford Pinto at the scene, and in that story that she told her friends, she said that her accomplice was black. Um, but they haven't made a solid connection other than that story. Sorry, I just got distracted by the Pinto because I'm pretty sure that's the really crappy car. That's the car that blew up if you got yeah. rear-ended. Okay, I just I yeah. just wanted to double yeah, check definitely. that one. It's a terrible car. Yes. She also said that she lived at a homeless shelter in Dallas with the daughter that was taken from her and she couldn't get the daughter back because she was using another name. At the shelter, the records were destroyed and nobody that worked there at the time still works there. Oh, so maybe like she lived in a homeless shelter and... The daughter was taken from her because of her situation, maybe? Yeah. I think okay, that's now what I get. That makes more sense. And I don't usually drag web sleuths or Reddit posts. I try to keep the forum posts to a minimum because it's a lot of hearsay. Yeah. So take this with a grain of salt because everybody can lie on the internet. Yeah, and like there are there is good information that comes yeah. out. Just want it. Just, just no one can get mad at us. There is good stuff. Oh, yes. No, there is good stuff. I am a huge web sleuth nerd. I I basically lived on web sleuth. Yeah, you did. I mean, the, the Lori Ruff stuff, that was... Oh, my God. Yeah. So much. It was, so like, there is, like, so good much. stuff. Yes. But I'm no, not I'm knocking totally web sleuths at all, but, like... If... I prefer to just stick with what we know from official reports. Exactly. That's yeah. what I try to do when I research these. But a web sleuth poster named Sloan McCaster says that they actually met this doe at a club in Fayetteville, Arkansas in 89 or 90. And that she was sweet, but very scared of her boyfriend. That makes sense. It sounds like that's the type of relationship that she just had in her life, unfortunately. And I can't remember where I read this, but apparently a niece of McAlphin's met her and said that she was timid. Okay. So. I could, I could believe that. Just trying to get to know our doe. Just kind of a personality. Yeah. Yeah. This case has DNA samples, fingerprints, and a ton of photos. Someone knows her. Someone has seen, like, I'm convinced someone's seen her photo and been, oh, crap, Mercedes or real person name is missing. But seeing the crowd she ran with, I'm not surprised nobody's spoken up. Yeah. And also, if it, she maybe came from a really bad family situation, then they may not exactly. have reported her missing. Exactly. Because that happens a lot, especially if someone has, like, a history of running away or something like that. That's, they're just... Then, I, when they disappear, like, sometimes the family doesn't report them missing. Grateful Doe. Grateful Doe. She was Which like, we'll be doing later. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We are going to get into Grateful Doe. That's another huge case. That was the kind of thing where he or was... Or, like, Lavender Doe. She wasn't reported missing. Exactly. There are reasons. Yeah. So, there's just a lot of situations where someone is not reported missing. Yes. This is a really recent update to the case. Oh, yay. Uh, so this is from January 23rd, 2019. Less than two months ago. Yeah. So Catherine Phillips with the El Dorado Police Department has been working on this case and talked to the Huffington Post about the DNA work happening right now. Time's already been served for this guy. Like Which guy? James McAlphin. He's already served his time for this murder. Oh, okay. Um, oh, but I thought, oh, for this specific murder, yeah, but he's, he's, he's still, still in, in because he's a piece Good. of shit and he beat someone else. But so she just wants this doe to get her name back mm. so her relatives can find out what happened. Yeah. Um, so there is a forensic DNA match. What? Yeah, there's a forensic DNA match. Uh, the DNA Doe Project shared her DNA with GED Match, the same genealogy website that they used to catch the Golden State Killer. And yeah. they found Lori through her. And I think, or I'm pretty this sure case. the Grim Sleeper was through that too. Probably. And I think Lyle Stevick was too. Have we talked about um, Jed Match? Yeah, so with Jed Match, basically it's. So with the Golden State Killer, there were a lot of rumors that the police had used like Ancestry um, or 23andMe or one of those sites. They didn't. Jedmatch um, is a site for genealogy, but you take your 
DNA results from like Ancestry or 23andMe, and you can upload that data to GEDmatch. And they have fine print saying, by the way, guys, this is this is like public. Yep. And the police can use this mm -hmm. to find identities. So it's if you don't read the fine print, it's on you. But there was no uh, privacy issues with going into like Ancestry or 23andMe without users knowing. This is a completely voluntary yeah, thing. Yeah, this is they totally They warn you what's going to happen if you upload your DNA profiles. Yeah. But it's in like another genealogy site to build family trees. That's GenMatch. And now I know that it's not GED match because that's what I've been saying in my head. Well, it could be GED match. I'm just going with what my prof calls it. So they've identified her father as a descendant of a couple named Daniel Wood and Mamie Carter, who had nine children and lived in Virginia. Christina Tilford is their granddaughter. Great-granddaughter? Uh, sorry, yes, great-granddaughter. Thank you for yeah. reading. And so Christina is a second cousin of Ardoe. Uh, Christina lives in Alabama and she said that she shared her DNA on the site but didn't expect anything like this to happen. She says that she does see a family resemblance with the El Dorado Jane Doe, but the family doesn't have any missing people or runaways in their history. Um, Catherine Phillips thinks that this Doe is probably born out of wedlock. Like maybe a member of that family got Doe's mom pregnant but nobody knew. Yeah, that would have been, what, the 1960s? Uh, 60 that? to 73. Is yeah, that was... It, it's possible. That, that was still a time when it was very taboo. Christine says, her story just breaks my heart. She deserves a name, and it would be wonderful if we could find any children she might have had. So this case is going to be solved. I would not be surprised uh, if this is the year that this case is solved. I am excited. It's kind of already been solved a little bit. They're just... I'm excited for that. Yeah. So they're just kind of narrowing down. Yeah. We both have been building our family trees, and we yes. know how hard it can be to oh be my like, God. okay, I've got this family member, now I have to find connections to this one member, and it's a whole thing. It is. It's just a really exciting time That's for this case. That's awesome. So my case is the flat tops dough. I think this is one you added to our list, actually. I don't remember a thing about it. Awesome. <laughs> Good. Okay, so full, full disclosure, I got... Basically all of my info about this case from news.com.au. So it's an Australian news source. There's a reason it's on the Australian news source that I'll, I'll briefly mention. So let's go back to my notes. Okay. On September 8, 2004, two elk hunters came across a collapsed tent in an abandoned campsite at the Flat Tops White River National Forest in Colorado. Inside the tent was the skeletal remains of a man in a sleeping bag. That sleeping bag was branded with Perth, Australia, and the words standard long. The man was determined to be white, likely 35 to 65 years old, and about 5'11 to 6'1. His skeleton showed evidence of severe degeneration in his back and neck, indicating the likelihood of severe back pain in life. Oof. Yeah. He also had extensive dental work, including... Gold, crowns, bridges, and fillings in almost every tooth. Oh my god. I, my teeth hurt just hearing that. Oh, uh, yeah. He was believed to be a smoker, which could indicate why he had yeah. so much work done on his teeth. Uh-huh. Uh, based on the unfiltered pack of camels found with his belongings. This was 2004 and he was smoking unfiltered? Are camels even still around? They are. Because Joe Camel is still a thing. If you got Joe a magazine, Camel's still a thing? I think so. If you get a magazine from the States, or at least like when I got like, I think it was even in Teen People. Oh, is he still, like, kind of weirdly buff with a leather jacket? Yes. Oh my I God. mean, I'm saying that from the last time I saw Joe. Okay. I, like, I'm not BFFs. I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> Your relationship has fizzled out. You, <laughs> yeah. You had, a, you had a brief fling at one point, but you just went different ways in your life. It's true. You're just not into camels anymore. 
Although his trousers had, quote, rotted away, his leather belt was still intact, along with a pair of 9M brown and black Timberland hiking boots. There was a lot of stuff at the campsite. I'm just gonna read this long list of stuff off the article because I'm not typing that out again. No, this is a lot of stuff. So this is a lot, here's a list of stuff, and I normally wouldn't include all this, but because it's a doe, one of these articles or just this collection of articles might like ring a bell for somebody. So the items found at the campsite, there are fragments of a sleeping cushion, a blue backpack, and a brown sleeping bag, which I mentioned earlier. Clothing and accessories, uh, which included a yellow-green plastic poncho, a black belt with long underwear fragments clinging to it. I have a question about that. I don't you, think you'll too? know. Do belt? Can you get long underwear underwear with belts attached? I'm just picturing like one of those old menstrual pad belts. That's what I'm picturing too, with long under. That can't be. I don't understand I don't, anything about. I that. don't wear long underwear. That's something worth Googling, or unless someone who wears or has seen long underwear can tell us what the hell's going on there. But in addition to that, uh, a pair of blue wool socks with duct tape around the toes and a blue and black Jan Sport backpack. So part of me is like either he didn't, he wasn't well off and couldn't really afford new socks, or he's like my granddad and just uses duct tape to fix everything. The duct tape around the toes really does make me sad though. I'm just kind of like, or he doesn't like sewing, or it may have just been yeah. like, he's frugal. He had toiletries, which included a blue hairbrush, an empty Tylenol bottle, fingernail clippings, wait, fingernail clippers. Oh, that'd be gross. Oh, goodness. Oh, oh my God. Um, tweezers, a package of foam earplugs, and a package of razor blades. He had cash in the form of $600 bills, one $10 bill, one $5 bill, and five $1 bills and all dated to no more than five years prior, which would be 1999. So the oldest money he had was 1999. Interesting. His bedding included a green camping pillow and a slumberjack sleeping bag. It kind of sounds like he had two sleeping bags. Yeah, because this is a different sleeping bag, I think. Interesting. Um, he had camping equipment, including a green Eureka dome tent, which would be great for our pod fort. We need a pod tent. We do. We need, we need a pod tent. He also had a butane stove with two fuel cans, a sweet water, water filtration can, um, kit. I don't know if that's a kind of water or if that's like the brand name. I have no I, idea. I have no idea. A tent repair kit, two green plastic military style canteens, a round red and blue canteen, a compass, and an aluminum cooking pot, a spoon, and two drinking cups. That is a lot of stuff. He's, he's prepared. He had two National Geographic moisture-proof trail maps of the flat tops with a route drawn across them to the area where the remains were discovered. Mm. Can I just say I'm really impressed with him for having he was like, prepared. a good map because we hear so many cases of people like found in national parks or something because they got lost. They just, so obviously he wasn't lost. Yeah. He, it sounds like this was not his first rodeo. No. Uh, oh, he had games. <gasps> Yeah, he had a game including a four-in-one Radio Shack game, so I'm guessing like an electronic game. Yeah. And a pocket-sized battleship. I really hope he also had batteries for that. I hope so. Although batteries in old games lasted a really long time, I think. Uh, he also had sunglasses, reading glasses, a magnifying glass, and a pair of silver sharper image binoculars. As mentioned earlier, he had 20 packs of Camel unfiltered cigarettes and eight multicolored butane lighters. Prepared. He's prepared. He also had... Uh, two plastic zipper bags, so like Ziplocs, mm -hmm. a bell, pepper spray, and a roll of duct tape. I oh, duct tape. A roll socks. of duct tape. So there he was go. just using probably what he had. Yeah. Okay. So clearly, just based on this, 
Dude knew what he was doing. He knew what he he was prepared. He knew what he was doing. He intended to be out there for a long time. Yeah. This wasn't just like you don't bring all of this for just a quick camping no. trip. Like I mean, trip. I probably would. Really, all of this? I am really bad at camping. I mean, I hate camping. So yeah. Oh, but <laughs> you remember all the stuff I would bring for a week at Kilku? Oh my right? god. Yeah. Kilku was the camp that we went to. In case you did not also go to our same middle school. <laughs> it. It was great. I was overprepared. I brought tea towels to act as curtains for our cabin so the boys couldn't look in, which they did try. Prepared. I was prepared, but pre-pared. it was also a week. It was also a week. So, which I would consider, like, this This would be good for, like, a week trip, too. But he's clearly planning to stay there for a while. Yeah. But the most interesting <gasps> thing that they found in his belongings, and possibly the most important regarding information was a green spiral-bound notebook found with his body. Oh, my God. Yes, I love when they find notebooks. Yes. The Colorado Bureau of Investigations, CBI experts, deciphered the writings. Oh, by the way, this is right from the article again. Uh, but much of the content was illegible as a result of exposure to the elements. I do find it interesting that he had waterproof maps, but not a waterproof notebook. I guess it might be a little harder to find a whole entire waterproof notebook. I wonder, because I have one oh. that I got for my internship. Oh. And I had one um, a while ago, but they're pretty easy to find. Probably. I feel like they were pretty easy to find then, too. I don't really go into a it's lot like of a, survival it, it, stores. It's like a waxed paper. Oh, yeah. So that's... Yeah, mm, so I just yeah. find it interesting that he just had a regular notebook, but waterproof maps. Anyway, um, so much of it was illegible as a result of exposure to the elements. The first page of the notebook is addressed to Lib, who has never been, been identified, and reads... Dear Lib, I should write in case my situation here doesn't improve. This may be the end of my journey. Oh no. Would like for you to claim the body, dot dot dot, services or memorial. Cremation. The next session section could not be fully deciphered, although the words include I, thought, and favor or flavor with American spelling. On another page, more text was discerned, but the CBI analyst said the writer's point was not clear. The section reads, Third choice, take them up in a glider. Brackets, I promise not to get sick on you. The writing then becomes illegible. On yet another page, the writing appears to read, R on the dot dot dot, would you call her dot dot dot, D, have it sent dot dot dot, you because I dot dot dot, want it to dot dot dot, where. Analysts also interpreted a recovered fragment to read, B dot dot dot, er dot dot dot, my dot dot dot, S are going. Oh my god, this is a mystery. And that's it. Because of the sleeping bag, people think he might be an Aussie, which is why I got this from a Aussie news source. Mm. Um, I've also seen people mention, uh, specifically on Reddit, that Lib is a common nickname for Olivia in Australia or the UK. Not sure about other places. Yeah, it's definitely not. I would say that's probably not the first um, nickname that someone would use in the US. For here, Olivia is would be like Liv. Yeah. Looking at nickname. I did see somebody mention... Um, Talking about how when you write into a diary, you're sometimes like, dear diary. And I think they were Italian, so they were talking about how sometimes, uh, I think it's Libro is used. So they were wondering about that, which I thought was interesting, but but I don't think it works. No. When you get to the would like for you to claim the body. Because I think what they're yeah. talking about, um, where there's the up in a glider, I think he was listing what he would like done with his ashes. Because he, ash- he wants his remains cremated. And choices. And so the third yeah. choice, take them up in a glider to disperse them. And then just making a joke, I promise not to get sick on you yeah. because he's ashes at it's, that point. So I yeah. think it's to a person. Definitely. I only read briefly the Reddit thing, but they were talking about how 
he might have just gone up there to die. He might have. He might have been. It might have been one of those things where, like, well, if he went up there to die, I think he probably would have left like a better will or like what he wanted to be done with his body. Maybe? Well, he might have expected to be found like immediately. Uh, yeah, because it sounds like he was up there for a while. Yeah. God, I want to know who he is. The 1999, all dated, all dated no more than five years prior. I'm trying to figure out if that means like. There was no money after 1999 or no money before 1999. To me, I read that as dated no more than five years prior means 1999 is where the money dates stopped. That's how I read that Yeah, as. yeah. So basically, we're looking at a case. He might have been up there since 1999. Did they... Sorry. What state was his body in again? Uh, Colorado. No. Oh, my God. Sorry. I totally said that wrong. Like, was he... What state of... Decline? Oh, uh, he was skeletal. Oh, okay, so we could have potentially he could have been up there since 1999. Yeah, so if he was up there for a long time, like he made the going up there to die with the awful back pain. Oh, is why people think that maybe that's why. Yeah, he either went up there just kind of like hang out, see if it improved at all. Yeah, because you're gonna say severe degeneration, which doesn't sound like it's just like no, oh, I gotta take a muscle relaxer. No, like that sounds really serious. It's bad. It's like the bone is. Is falling apart, essentially. Oh, boy. Oh, dear. Uh, but saying, in case my situation here doesn't improve. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking he's referring to back pain. He, mi- he might have um, planned to just go up there. And then something and then come back. Oh. Or, and, but then his back dege- had degenerated so much that he couldn't get up he again. He couldn't, like, get back down to. Yeah, he might have just been immobilized. Oh, God. Because I have. So uh, yeah, because, like, my Oma, her back is. Um, she's had like surgery. She's on a lot of medication for it. Mm-hmm. But this is exact. Like if she tried to go like on oh a camera trip, she'd be trapped. Yeah. So I am leaning toward it being just the just because of the wording of my situation here doesn't improve. Yeah. It sounds like he intended to come back. Yes, I would agree with and that. And something happened. Probably like I'm gonna say immobilized by his um, back pain. Yeah. I mean, we don't even know what the weather was like when he was. No idea. So it could be something like that too. I don't yeah, know. or it could be like the weather got bad and things got worse. But there was, I think it was something was keeping him from returning home, yes. basically. And then he was writing this to be like, okay, I'm going to die here. Here's what I want done with my remains. They'll find me quickly. Yeah, it's definitely not a journal article or not a diary. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not. It, yeah, it's not just like a casual. No. This is, def- yeah, as you said, it's it's a will. Yeah. It definitely is a will. So he knew, I, he definitely knew he was going to die there. Yeah. We just don't really know what kept him specifically from returning home. Either way, it's a really, really, it, really sad story. It's a very sad story. It reminds me, oh my gosh, I'm, I can't remember her name, but there was a woman on the other, because this was in Colorado. Yeah. There was a woman that was in like the Adirondacks or like. Appalachia. Um, so there's this woman in some mountain range on the East Coast, and it was a story kind of similar to this, but like I think her family knew that she was going out, and like they found her, and she ha- also had like I think she also had like a journal, and they found all of her stuff. I think this was like a solved dough case, and I cannot remember for the life that of me familiar. what her name was. If anybody can enlighten me on what case I'm talking about, that would be great. Or I can find it and steal it as one of my solved dough cases. Yes. 
do it because that was a very interesting story and I'd like to I'm, revisit it. I'm really fascinated by stories I've realized about people like getting lost in the woods or like dying in the woods or something like the Lost Girls of Panama, that case. Oh my gosh, yeah. fascinating to me. There's the case, Gen Y just covered it, I'm blanking, but it was two friends went camping in a national park. Ooh. And one of the, and there was a debate, like one of them um, was killed and the whole investigation was whether it was a mercy killing or not. Oh no. Or a murder. Oh. It's a really fascinating case. It's heartbreaking. Oh my God. Cases like that, I don't know why, but those ones are the most fascinating to me. It's kind of like, it's got an element of you're like out and it's nature and there's so many variables. I, maybe it's just having to read all of that Canadian literature when we were kids. <gasps> yes. Where everything happens that someone gets lost in the woods. This is true. That's like a genre. It, that, that Canadian literature is basically getting lost in the woods and having to survive. Or not survive. Sometimes someone's trying to kill me in the woods. Sometimes I get adopted by a pack of wild animals. There's lots of subgenres <laughs> of surviving in the woods. So we're just referring to those ones. Yes. Yeah, I so, guess now. Yeah, that's my case. Yeah. So it's I don't know if they've open. done DNA. I don't. It's I didn't more see open-ended any facial than reconstructions. So I have some photos to show you. So here's a picture of the notebook. It is very, like, decomposed. Yeah, it's. I'm surprised it's been it. that the ink even stayed on the page. I know. It's impressive. That's, that's some good ink. That is some very good. I would like to know the brand. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Um, here's a picture of the sleeping bag he was found in. A very 90s logo. I know, right? I love it. Um, and he also had some doodles in his, Aww. which I found very cute. They are very cute. And they're all I in a heart. A, I think that's a cat. Uh, it's like, I don't know, starfish and something. That looks like the poop emoji, honestly. And it's all in a heart. But that didn't heart. exist then. It's Aww. all in a heart. So it's, I kind of wonder if it's just stuff that was back home. Oh my God, that's so sad. I'm just making this even sadder than it already is. So yeah, that is the flat tops dough, and that's we don't have it's much just one of those on. things where we have so much. We have handwriting, we have all this, but I don't know if DNA was done. I don't know if any facial reconstruction was done because I didn't see any. And um, on the even the Reddit thread that I saw, it was someone was kind of just bringing it up, like, "Hey, this is this case that's kind of stuck with me, that isn't really known." And the discussion on it didn't seem to last very long either. So I'm gonna guess this isn't that well known of a case. And it's hard when there's, like, there's so much relatively compared to some other cases, but there's also feels like there's nothing. Yeah, basically. That's exactly it. So. And in this note, you can see, I don't know if I'm, like, talking out my butt here. I feel like that's my forte. Look at his E's and look at his R's. And look at the little, like, hip in his L. It looks like, um, like, you know, like, old school grandparent writing? <laughs> I don't know how else oh to say God, that. Oh, my God, it does. It so does. Yeah. Okay. So that's the flat top stow. Well, after that sad story. I know, right? This is why we end with a solved case. Well, this solved case is also heartbreaking. Oh. Damn it. I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. All right. Well, at least it's been solved. It's been solved. Okay. This is the case of Drew Greer. He's a teenage boy who was attempting to pick up a hitchhiking ride on Interstate 75 near Macon, Georgia, and he was struck by a semi-trailer. Oh, no. I know. On February... 14th 1979 he didn't have any id on him but he did have over two dozen candy bars and a half dozen pieces of taffy okay this is my kind of man honestly when i was reading this and i heard that he just had candy it just makes it just shows like he's 15 oh like, I, of course he's gonna have candy i was more just like that like <laughs> i connect with him 
that's what he took for sustenance. It just, it, it really also, hit me. It was also Valentine's Day. It was Valentine's Day. Which makes, that's a that day makes more sense. The candy. That does. To me, it just shows like, he's young. Police talked to a man who gave him a ride earlier in that day. The boy told the man his name was Drew Greer, but police in Georgia at the time couldn't do anything with that info because it was 1979. And this boy had no fingerprints in any databases. Back then, and even now, they aren't going to, I guess they're not going to, I don't know, call around to different jurisdictions, say, hey. Drew Gear has anyone has anyone reported this kid missing? Maybe I feel like this is one where if someone had taken the time to actually call around, it would have been solved. Like probably, right yeah. They didn't have an information highway, but also they had phones. They had phones. They had phones, phones existed. Anthony Strickland was a deputy in 1979 and attended the boys. I put it in quotes. Funeral at an unmarked grave. He never forgot the case and did some internet sleuthing and found the case of Andrew Greer reported missing in February 1979 in Addison, Michigan. So he contacted Sergeant Larry Rothland with the Michigan State Police, who was assigned to Drew's case, which was reopened in April 2000 because of a request from his dad, Andrew Greer Sr., who had cancer at the time and he just wanted to find closure. Once, I guess once Strickland and Rothland, like, talked to each other, um, Drew's body was exhumed for DNA. They sent it to the Center for Human Identification at the University of North Texas, which I think is where John Clinton Doe's DNA yeah. was also sent. And it was a match with DNA from Drew's family members. So it's thought that Drew was trying to make his way to his father who lived in Florida. Oh my god, I know, right? Like, it's so fucking sad. <sighs> Sorry. No, I know. Like, I don't usually get really, like, I get really emotional about cases, but something about this case, I know. I think, oh, goodness, sorry, sorry, listeners. Um, I think it's because he was reported missing, like, it seems like right away. Yeah, like, they knew. They knew, and just, if, if there'd been, like, if, I don't know if it was lack of resources, but if there'd been a way to just let the family know. Yeah, so, and. And just the fact that he was just going to go see his dad. Yeah, that's just... He had fucking tapping in his pocket to go see his dad. Okay, so... Yeah, we're... Oh my god, okay. Crying Girls Podcast. New ah. title. Yeah, okay. So... So here's Drew's story from Drew's side of it. He left school on February 12th, 1979, and he didn't come home. At 5 p.m., the state police arrived at his house, and his mom, Joyce, told him that he told them that he might have run away. The last time anyone saw him was after school. He had a friend named Scott. So uh, his friend, Scott Zeve, Zeve, said that he wasn't looking forward to going home because he got suspended for having a knife at school. Uh, he cut up a bus seat, and he was afraid to go home and deal with the consequences from his mom. So Drew and Scott hung out in a fort in the woods on Steve's property and Drew left and Scott never saw him again. I just want to say how appropriate it is that they were in a fort. And, and we are in a fort, fort right now! Rumors at school were that he was killed and buried near a barn, that he was hitchhiking near Hudson, Michigan. The school dropped Drew from the school roster on March 8th, 1979, which is um, not even a month. Um, Give him some time! That's a little fast. It's like... Because, really fast. Like, if it was a runaway thing and he came back, I'm sorry, or we're we just assuming he's not... It, that's not even the end of the school year. Like, could no, you that's, at least give him the end of the school year? Ridiculously long. Was it going to mess up their paperwork? What's that about? Yeah, it's like... That's just rude. That was a wrong decision. 
Um, so in 2015, Rothman realized Greer wasn't in any missing persons database. Oh, God. So he finally got Drew into NamUs and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So this is reminding me a lot of Marguerite O'Brien, um, my solved case from episode yes. two, I think. It was because the family didn't know, like, they could submit their DNA and stuff. And as soon as they did, there she was. Yeah. James Bowman, his half-brother, who was four years old when Drew vanished, says he's happy to have closure, but wishes his mom was alive to hear the news. And Drew's dad died without knowing what happened either. Oh, but I guess at least his brother knows. Yeah. And at least Drew got his name back. Yeah. They know what happened to him now. I almost made an inappropriate joke about maybe now they'll add him back to the school roster. Right? Um, Anyways. Yeah, that one was heartbreaking. So we usually add these solved cases, so it's like... So there's like something, something cheerful? Not so much cheerful, but like but lighter. Cheerful. Something optimistic. Yeah, like cases will get solved. Things happen. But actually that segues nicely into the thing I wanted to add just with missing people. If you have someone who's missing, keep pushing for it. Um, there's a case that I just heard about, I'm blanking on his name, but he's a nine-year-old boy who went missing from Etobicoke in 1944. They have fairly recently finally added him to the Center for Missing Exploited Children because there was not great documentation, there was no assigned investigator, but the parents and the family, every year on his birthday since he disappeared, have published in the newspaper saying, happy birthday, and just bringing attention to the case. So if you have someone missing, Keep at it. Keep putting pressure on. Keep go to the media if you have to. Just publish announcements in the newspaper. Keep asking questions because if you put pressure, that's how these cases get solved. Yeah. Because even with like really good police services, they're often underfunded, overworked. They just don't have the resources. Cold cases get put aside a lot because they need to focus on ones that can get solved right away. And as I found out with um, the Toronto Police Service, they didn't have a dedicated missing persons unit. They're, they have one now. I'm Good. really, really excited about that. Yeah. They have one now that's dedicated to this, to getting different jurisdictions to communicate with each other if there's um, a connection with any missing persons. Basically, don't just rely on the police to be able to do this because sometimes they're overworked, things fall through the cracks. So keep putting pressure. Also, the whole thing about you can't, report someone missing until 24 hours have passed is a lie. And you go to a lot of police sites and they'll actually lay it out that it's an urban legend. I learned yeah. this from Cracked. I'll give, I love Cracked. Cracked is great. So um, I can't remember what the article was called, but it was, it was talking about that. So basically, if you have someone missing, make a report right away. With the Margarita O'Brien case, for instance, they didn't know about being able to submit the DNA. Just find out everything you can. Put their name anywhere you can think of the age of social media has helped so much because you have Facebook, you have Twitter, you have Instagram, you have Web Sleuths, you have Reddit, you have tons mm -hmm. of people who are really interested in solving things. Dedicated Facebook pages. Yeah, dedicated Facebook pages. Also, one thing I was thinking of is uh, with petitions. Use petitions to your advantage. If, for instance, you're in a place where you don't feel the police are taking it seriously, start a petition. Put pressure on them. We will sign your petition. We will. Yep. So I guess basically the thesis of this ramble is don't give up. Keep putting pressure. Keep making the name of the person missing known. Everyone is important. Yes. Even if it turns out that they ran away. They're if still they, a human being. If they went to start a new life. It doesn't matter. Don't give up on them. So I guess that's uh, my closing statement Well, <laughs> for this. This pod fort. 
is really hot. So this I a, think we should boogie. This became an emotional episode. It did. I did. This is like the emotional fort. I knew that Drew was going to be a hard one to get through. I was, yeah, I was not expecting to react like that. It's, uh... oh, did you want to see photos of Drew? I would. Let okay. me see Drew. Okay. So something that I didn't mention before was, I think what first got me about this was that my uncle's about the same age as Drew and it's obviously he has like the same 70s boy haircut. Oh, and like the that's same such color, a great haircut, like, honestly. and it really gets me when there's age progressions when they've passed. Oh, the age progressions get me. I think the most when it's because looking at that, you're like, this is what they could look like today, not knowing that it's too late. Really. Yeah, it's just Those really ones sad. Break my heart. Just it, they're just so hopeful. So yeah. <sighs> so okay. Hard. Well, we're gonna go have some tea and yes. chill out. So talk to y'all later. Bye.